Well, good morning. It is so great to be back here in Lindsay with you this morning. So great to see you all again. You know, this is the first time in 2017 that I've been with you. It's kind of like New Year's all over again, isn't it? It's a new year, 2017. And today's scripture I thought was the perfect scripture for New Year's because it talks about a new beginning. In today's scripture, Paul is addressing the church in Corinth. He's doing that by writing them a letter. He wrote this letter just after he had left Corinth. He had gone there, established the church. Paul is the founder of the Corinthian church. He got it going. He got it up and running. Things were going well. And so Paul left. Paul left to go establish churches in other places. And when he wrote the letter, he is currently in Ephesus. So this church has fallen on some problems. It's only been there a couple of years, and they've already started to slip. Paul became aware of the troubles they were having in Corinth, and he wrote this letter because he'd heard about the troubles there. He became aware that his Corinthian church needed a new beginning, and so he's writing the letter to help them get a fresh restart, to give them some new momentum. It kind of sounds a lot like our lives at New Year's, doesn't it? You know, for some reason at the start of every new calendar year, that's when we become aware of every place we perceive our lives to have some kind of shortcoming. Or maybe they're for real. Maybe we really do have a few places in our lives where we lack proper direction or focus or momentum. And so at New Year's, we always seem to focus on that and we say to ourselves, I need a restart. Anybody out there done that yet? I mean, we're at the end of January. You guys have probably already been through that exercise, right? I dare to say, if you are true, red-blooded Americans, you're doing that right now. Yeah? Nobody's admitting it. Well, you know, I do it. How many of you this year vowed that you would eat healthier? Show of hands. I did it. You know, this year I I decided I'm going to get back on track, and one way I'm going to do that is I am going to eat better. That is one of my New Year's goals. My goal is to eat better. My goal used to just be to eat. But not anymore. Now I had to make my goal to eat better because my blood pressure's up a little bit. My triglycerides are a little bit high. And I got to get back on track. I kind of slipped in 2016. I got away from eating right, kind of started eating anything I wanted to eat. But now I've got to get back on track. I'm going to restart. So I'm watching my sugars. Watching my saturated fats, cutting that stuff kind of out, or at least way back. And I'm also going to eat a lot more vegetables. Yuck. But I'm going to do it. I'm committed to eating better, and so I'm going to do it. I'm focusing on better health. And I think it's safe to say that at New Year's, almost everybody makes the resolution that I'm going to start exercising again, right? I read somewhere that's when they sell 90% of all the exercise equipment they sell in a year, right after New Year's. Did anybody decide to do that this year? I know I did. So I've got that one on my plate too. I've got to start that back up because for me, it really seems to help me. It really seems to help get everything back in place. But again, I've slipped. I've gotten away from it in 2016. I've gotten out of shape. But it's a new year. And so now I'm resoluting. I am resoluting to get back to exercising in 2017. 
That's what I'm doing. Now, there's probably a lot of other areas in your lives where you might have said, I got off track there. I need to get back on track again, right? It's not just with your diet, not just with your exercise, but there's places where we say, you know, I've slipped. I need to refocus. I need a restart. I need to regain my momentum and get back on track. And so we do that, and we should. If there's problem areas, we need to focus on those. We need to make a commitment to and attempt to get back on track. And that's what Paul's trying to do in today's scripture. He's trying to help the Corinthians get back on track because they've slipped. Because now there are problem areas that have crept into that church and they need corrected. There were factions in the church, cliques as we'd call them nowadays. They were, people were starting to get clicky, and that's not good. There was elitism and conflicts over spiritual gifts, whose gift was better than whose. There was sexual immorality. All kinds of problems had crept into the church. There were challenges to Paul's authority and leadership. Things sound pretty bad. It's no wonder Paul was concerned and wrote this letter. But wait, there's more. Heresy. There was heresy about the resurrection of the body, and that had entered the church. There were unorthodox and unaccepted practices being done during worship. That had become increasingly common. And this one might be hard to believe, but many people in the Corinthian church had questions about what is proper Christian behavior. They just didn't know. What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to behave? Things were way out of hand. This place was a mess. And why wouldn't it be? The church was situated in Corinth. Corinth was a thriving metropolitan city. It was full of diversity, culture, commerce, paganism, morality, and great wealth. Bad influence was all around this church, and it had crept into the church itself. Now Paul was concerned about the spiritual health of his church, and that's why he wrote the letter. This is the first part of that entire letter, 1 Corinthians, but one thing that most preachers will point out, and I wanted to do it too, Paul starts this letter off, and we're looking at the part where he starts it off. He starts it off in a traditional Greek form. He starts it out in a form that his readers would be comfortable with, so Paul identifies himself. He identifies who he's writing to, and all that was very common form back then. He offers a greeting. He says, Greece, he says grace and peace to you. Grace meant hello in Greek, and so for his Greek readers, that was comfortable. And peace meant hello in Hebrew, so for the Jews who were reading it, they were comfortable also. But what Paul did with that greeting was very clever. He not only addressed both Jew and Gentile in a way that was comfortable for them, but he converted that greeting into an invocation. He invited God into the conversation and also reminded the readers that God was part of it. And that invocation is critical. With all the horrible things that were going on inside that church, Paul could have naturally and easily taken the low road. He could have focused on all the problems. He could have started out with all the negatives. But he did not. Instead, Paul traveled the high road, and he leaned on God. He said, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he wrote in verse 3 of today's scripture. In the face of trouble, Paul first leaned on God, and he reminded us to seek God. I got an email from our bishop recently, Bishop Palmer. And if anybody has ever had the chance to hear Bishop Palmer preach... 
then you know how absolutely positive Bishop Palmer can be. I don't know if I've ever heard Bishop Palmer speak where he wasn't positive. Has anybody ever had an experience with Bishop Palmer? Maybe from Charge Conference or someplace else? I'm telling you, if you want to get inspired, go and listen to Bishop Palmer. But I got this email recently from the bishop, and I read it, and to me it sounded like it was starting out unusually negative. I had to step back, read it again. This email began with a prayer that was written by John Wesley. I'd never heard of it, but it's called Wesley's Covenant Prayer. In the prayer, Wesley asked God to bring about great suffering and trouble in his life. He asked for what contemporary churches might call brokenness. In the prayer, Wesley requests that he be ranked with the poor. He says, put me to suffering. Let me be laid aside for thee, brought low for thee. Let me be empty. Let me have nothing. Now, that's a hard prayer to pray. And personally, I've never been one to pray it. I've found that life's already full of its own naturally occurring hardship and tragedies. Never felt like I needed to ask for more of those. But John Wesley did in this prayer. Now, I've always preferred to praise God for all the blessings that he's given me. Even when times get tough, I've always preferred to just keep thanking God. And as I read this email further, I realized that is exactly what Bishop Palmer was doing with this prayer. Bishop Palmer, in his regular fashion, managed to find the positives. He pointed out that although Wesley is praying for strife, that he's doing so only if it is necessary for him to serve God's will. Bishop Palmer noticed that Wesley's prayer challenges us to view our life solely through the lens of our relationship with God. Exclusively for the sake of God's will, God's mission, and God's glory. Now, what I noticed about the covenant prayer, and in the light of today's scripture, is that this prayer also does a lot of positive things. It thanks God for any blessings. It also says, if bad things come, they come. But, put me to thy will, and let me be employed for thee. I also saw, let me be full. Let me be exalted for thee. Let me have all things. So Wesley also thanks God for the blessings and prays for those too. In today's scripture, Paul says that bad things will come. That's life. And they have come to the church in Corinth. Paul also tells us how to properly deal with that. First, he tells us to look for the positive signs that God is still with you. He writes, I always thank God for you. Because of his grace given to you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way. In all your speaking and in all your knowledge. Because of our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift. As you eagerly await our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. As I thought about that. As I looked into it. What I realized Paul means is that he could still see the spiritual gifts being used in the church. Even though everybody was fighting over whose was better or who was more important because of their gift, Paul saw the gifts. And what Paul points out is where there are spiritual gifts, there is the Holy Spirit. You can't have spiritual gifts unless the Holy Spirit's there to give it to you. Where there are spiritual gifts, there is the Holy Spirit. Where there is the Holy Spirit, there is God. And Paul saw that. He's pointing out the positive. What Paul's saying is when trouble comes, you've got to keep calm. And find the positive 
You do that by keeping calm and finding God. Speaking of keeping calm and doing stuff, has anybody seen or experienced that keep calm epidemic that's going on right now in our popular culture? Anybody seen that? Keep calm and, you know, I'm seeing that everywhere. And as I'm going through the scripture, I thought, you know, probably you guys have heard of it, but I think it's a good way to illustrate the point. So I brought a couple low-tech visual aids. You guys probably got the high-tech screen back here and some projectors. We don't have that in Tontagony. So I am the king of low-tech visual aids. So I brought a few. Now, the first one I want to show you, I hope you can see these. You know, if my, if my father-in-law gets stressed out, if, if trouble comes, this is what he does. He says, you know, keep calm and play golf, right? Because that, keep calm and play golf. He should get the T-shirt. Because that's what he goes and does. Keep calm and play golf. Now, my mother-in-law, she would, would have a different T-shirt. Hers would say, keep calm and drink lattes. <laughs> Nothing a latte can't cure. Those will calm you right now. Now, my wife, Janelle, she would definitely be this one. Keep calm and love pizza. I think we eat that six times a week. <laughs> Which is why I've got that New Year's resolution going. <laughs> now, now, my daughter, Adley, is, she's like three and a half. She's almost four. And if you've got kids or grandkids, especially girls, you're going to know this one. My daughter, this would be her shirt. Keep calm and let it go. That's from Frozen. I can sing every song from Frozen. My daughter's never liked Santa Claus. I think I probably told you that in a sermon somewhere along the road. But my son's the opposite. He's still going ho, 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 even though we're uh, like a month past Christmas now. So if he gets stressed out, it's always going to be keep calm and ho, ho, ho. Because that's what he does. But the Apostle Paul, if he were here today, if he were involved in this keep calm epidemic... He would be telling us, his t-shirt would say, keep calm and praise God. Keep calm and praise God. In today's scripture, we're reminded to keep calm and praise God, no matter how bad it gets. Corinth was filled with all kinds of unimaginable problems. The church there is in terrible shape. They needed to refocus, repent, recommit. They had to do that. But God is still there. And so hope is realistic. It's not false hope when God is still there. So even in this critical time, Paul is urging them, the first thing you have to do is recognize God is with you and seek God first. Today's scripture urges us to do the same. When life goes bad, connect with God. When things seem not so good, praise God anyway for the things that are. Paul says we can do that because we are followers of Jesus Christ. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we know how it ends. Today's scripture says he will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, is faithful. God is faithful. We know how it ends, and for us, it ends well. God is faithful in his promise of everlasting life so long as we persevere to the end. Now, after reading today's scripture and thinking about it, I can do that. No matter how scary life gets, I can keep on going because I know how it ends, and I know it ends well. My daughter, she loves to read books. It's one of her favorite things to do. 
But if the book gets too scary, she just won't finish it. She'll slam it shut, and she'll walk off. Not going to finish it. Not too scary, and you can't make her. I've tried. Now, we were in Barnes & Nobles the other day, and Abby got to pick out a new book. So she saw one called Beauty and the Beast, which she recognized the name because she's seen the Disney movie. But this wasn't the modern version that you see in the Disney movie. This one was a little bit different. It had the same title, but there was different artwork, there was different pictures, and the girl was called Beauty, not Belle. So there were some differences, and there were some slight differences in the story too. Very similar, but a couple slight differences. But she had to have that book, so we took it home, and she just couldn't wait to have me read it to her. So we sat down, I began to read her the book, and about halfway through it, it got scary. Because this wasn't like the Disney version. This was probably the original version, back when people scared their kids, right? <laughs> so this thing got scary, and she stopped me. No more. She was done with this thing. She slammed it shut, and she walked off. Now, I tried to explain to her. I said, it ends the same way as the movie. The beast turns into a prince, and he marries the beauty, and they live happily ever after, and they get to dance at the wedding. You know how it ends. But she would not come back and sit down and read that. She didn't recognize the story. She didn't know. She knew how it ended. And I couldn't convince her. So she just slammed that book, and off she went. But a few minutes later, she came back with a different book, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. We've read that book a million times, and she loves to read about the Grinch. And yes, about halfway through, she gets spooked because the Grinch starts doing all kinds of bad things, and that's scary. And he's got those scary yellow eyes, too. I don't think she likes that much. But this one she'll finish. She toughs it out because she recognizes the story. She knows how it ends. So she keeps calm and reads on. This book, even though it's scary, she knows how it ends, so she'll finish it. Yeah, the Grinch's heart grows three sizes. He becomes nice. He brings all the stuff back. He helps him cut the meat. It all ends well. And she knows that so she can get through it. Today's scripture tells us to seek God, to serve Christ, and to keep calm. When things get bad, keep calm because God is still with us. And we know that it all ends well. That said, when life gets really tough and you think you just can't handle it, when things get really hard and you're not sure if you can make it through, will you remember today's scripture and what Paul is telling us to do? Will you keep calm and just keep praising God? I hope so. Will you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we praise you. We praise you in all things, in good times and in bad. May we pray for your blessings, but when the bad times come, give us peace from knowing how it all eventually ends so that we can keep calm and just keep on praising God. May 2017 be filled with blessings for your will, for your mission, and for your glory. God, we pray for that, but if times go bad, Lord, may we endure in Jesus' name we pray, amen.